Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the mic, starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike, uh, Mike Zlatnik, and today it is my... Um, Pleasure and a privilege to welcome Fernando Angelucci. Hi, Fernando. Mike, how are we doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Fernando, you're a brother from CG Mastermind. Uh, we have a lot of really great guests from CG. I appreciate uh, that mastermind. And uh, uh, tell us a little bit about you, um, where you live, your family, kids, pets, wives. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I guess I'll start from the beginning. Um, I'm the son of two immigrants that uh, came to the United States from Brazil. Uh, they came to the United States with kind of the old school American dream of, you know, work hard, go to school, uh, you'll get a good job, you stay at that job for 45 years and retire with a pension, right? Um, well, I was going in that direction until I read uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was 16 years old. And at that point, I decided I wanted to be a business owner. But my father basically said, you still have to go get a, a degree. And he kind of gave me the Henry Ford answer, which was, you can get any degree you want as long as it ends in the words engineering, right? <laughs> so <laughs> got my engineering degree. Uh, it was uh, ag bio engineering, um, technical systems management was the actual name of the degree. And uh, went to go work for a Fortune 50 company. Within six months of working from that company, uh, I already started to do real estate. And within 13 months, I actually had, um, I had uh, I quit that job to do real estate full time. So I started off doing uh, wholesaling of single family and small multifamily properties. Then uh, we started buying apartment buildings as rentals. And then we started flipping single family homes, holding single families for rentals. And I was having so much problems. So I started the investment company in Des Moines, Iowa. And then when I moved back to Chicago, I just kept doing the same thing, buying rental properties. But the issue is in Chicago, owning rental properties is extremely difficult. They're very tenant friendly here. And uh, we were having a lot of issues with tenants that didn't want to pay rent. And then the eviction takes five to eight months to get them out. So I said, there has to be a better way. So then that's when I found out about self-storage and, uh, since then, I've been uh, I've sold all of my multifamily rentals. I have two single family rentals left to sell. We're not flipping any single families anymore, and all we're doing is buying and 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 operating self storage facilities. Thank you for for, for that. So, a couple of comments. Uh, yeah, the Socialist Republic of Illinois, just like Socialist Republic <laughs> of New York. I, I I can't say enough, right? If you have, especially now, we are unfortunately recording this during the COVID nineteen. Um, pandemic and very yeah. difficult times and tenants don't pay now not only normal foreclosure is difficult but it's so impossible now to um, not foreclosure but eviction process it's impossible yeah. to evict tenants at this point you, you have to <laughs> you have to somehow motivate them to uh, to pay if they don't pay they could stay in your in your uh, in your apartment or your your house for a long 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 time uh, we have a indefinite freeze on evictions. Yeah, same thing here. I, I, I was certainly understanding, very sympathetic when people lose their job, but they have no consideration for landlords and the fact that we have our own mortgages to pay. And, you know, it's, that's the difficult part. As much as 
you're protecting the uh, the little guy. At the same time, you're destroying uh, the the economy in other ways. So, uh, yeah, let's hope that th th this this situation will improve. I don't know when this episode will come out, but at this point, still a lot of uncertainty. Uh, one of the big questions we'll switch back to the real estate is how do we reopen? It's not when. Yeah, when it's going to be a while, uh, but how is the big question in big cities like Chicago, right. like New York that have subways? How the hell they reopen and people go back to work through subways where reinfection can spike massively? Those, uh, they're not set up for uh, mass transportation. Like I, I can imagine... Los Angeles was very scattered and not, you know, a big city, but they, people drive. Well, the traffic is bad all the time. And now it's, I don't know if it's going to get worse or better, or it's much better now, but it's probably going to go back to semi-normal over there. They have no subway, so it's, it's the same bad traffic. But here in New York, uh, if you take off this subway, the traffic is going to be catastrophic. I mean, and, and. I don't know. It's some of the difficult questions. But let's go back to self-storage. So I appreciate your, your um, switch to self-storage. Self-storage now is looking pretty good. I don't, I don't know how else to put it. But uh, are you observing that the, um, lease, uh, the, the absorption rate is improving? Uh, what, what, we're recording this in early April. I don't know what's going to come out. It may come out again in, in a couple of months because uh, uh, we only do two a month. Right. But are you, are you seeing absorption rate, uh, lease up, the, the space improving in your assets starting from March? Yeah, so since the COVID pandemic started and really hit the United States, our occupancies across all of our facilities have actually increased. And in some of the facilities where we thought we were at an artificial ceiling on occupancy, um, we've actually exceeded those levels. Uh, so we're getting a lot of people coming into the self-storage facilities. And I think the main reason is self-storage serves people in transition, right? So if it's in a good economy, people, you know, buying more things than they can store in their house. If it's in a bad economy, it's uh, people downsizing, um, going from maybe a 2,400 square foot home down to a 1,200 square foot home, rental or owned. Um, but then, you know, especially for, the, for your listeners out there that have kids, you know, you know, even when your kid is a grown adult, you still have those spaghetti paintings and those little crayon, you know, pictures that they made for you. And you're never going to throw those away, even if your kid's 40 now, right? Those are going to be kept forever. And when you don't have room, when you downsize, you're going to go to one of my self-storage facilities and you're going to, you know, you're going to rent out a 10 by 10 for a hundred bucks, as opposed to spending an extra 1500 bucks a month on housing. Oh, that's right. That's a, that's a no brainer. That's why self-storage, um, work so well. People store their junk and certainly during the economic recession, that is the most common, um, that's a safer asset or better asset. They, the self-storage does well because of all the um, challenges of uh, a recession. And, and uh, yeah, people store their junk and you don't have tenants and toilets. Yeah. Uh, Going through a, a period of time that we've, I've been looking at, you know, previous recessions to see how self-storage compares now to then. And so let's, I mean, the most recent one is 07, 09, right? When yeah. the, the real estate market was, was not doing too well. You know, during that time, the S&P 500 dropped 22%. Uh, multifamily and residential properties, when REITs were surveyed, were dropping at least 7 to 9% in value. 
Now, I know a lot of individual investors that are not REITs where they lost much more than 7%, right? 30, 50%. They even, some businesses went completely belly up. During that time, self-storage only dropped about 3.5%, 3.8%. Um, and that's a survey of the REITs, which are slow to react. They don't move very quickly. Um, of the investors that I know that were investing in self-storage during that time, uh, they said that their occupancies actually went up, their valuations went up, and we're starting to notice the same thing across all of our properties as well. Um, our delinquencies have stayed level while our occupancies have been increasing over the last eight weeks. Yeah, that makes sense. That's the, it was going to be the follow-up question whether people, um, you're increasing the uh, physical occupancy, but the economic uh, occupancies that getting better or not if people stop paying for some reason they they but at least you, you have that junk right you can lock it up and if they want it back they need to um, go catch up on all their payments exactly so because we're not guided by tenant landlord law but as opposed we're, we're guided by lien law when somebody stores their stuff in my self-storage facility I automatically get a lien against their stuff so while ev evictions are frozen right now, auctions are not frozen because it's a different relationship. So if, if you don't pay and you don't reach out and you don't answer our calls to work a plan out, then what we do is we put a, I'll give you kind of the timeline. Um, you have a five day grace period. If you don't pay within that five days, then you're delinquent and a late fee is charged. One of our property managers reaches out to you and try to figure out what's going on and if we could put you on a payment plan. If you avoid those calls, then immediately we send it to the auction process. So after the five days of non-payment, then there's two weeks where we will put a notice in the, the local legal newspaper saying, hey, this person hasn't paid. This is their unit number at this you know, self-storage facility. Uh, if they do not pay within the next two weeks, the auction will be held on this date. So now let's say that we're about three weeks out. Um, the auction, at the end of that legal circulation, the auction has to take place at least one to two weeks after that, depending on what state you're in. So let's just say two weeks, so now we're a little over a month out. At that point, we host all of our auctions online. So unfortunately, it's not like the show uh, Storage Wars. That would be fun, but we don't get as high bids when we do that. Somebody online makes an auction, and within, say, 40 to 45 days of the person initially becoming um, in default, we have already recouped all of our lost rent. We have the we have sweeped out the unit, and it's being re-rented on the same day. Very interesting. This is a whole lot better than uh, normal eviction. You know, especially now when on the eviction moratorium, forget it. I mean, it could be many, 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 many months before you could even file anything. Exactly. So yeah, that's that certainly um, is a much better um, asset class uh, where you could get your unit back and be able to re-rent it. And the demand is going to be increasing over the next number of months for sure. The, uh, the other question is, I know you're buying mostly, and then you elaborate on this, you buy, you're buying mostly existing facility with a good cash flow. You're not developing stuff ground up or redevelopment. Is that yeah. accurate? Yeah, so we, we do do developments, but it's a, it's a stark ratio. So, so for maybe every one development we do, we'll buy 10 cash flowing existing self-storage facilities to balance it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that the data I, I, uh, I saw in the self-storage industry, it peaked in 2018. Uh, there's been some level of oversupply in some markets for sure. Correct. 
Um, but the, I guess the opportunity is now mostly an acquisition of existing facilities, a number of redevelopments exists, if you, if you, especially now. I mean, <laughs> all Macy's stores are closed, all of them, and they, right. they furloughed the employees. I don't know if all of them will reopen. When this thing comes back, you may have a lot of em empty um, big box Macy's and other ones uh, available for redevelopment. Well located strategically at a, in, in a good part of the city. Well, question one, will the city want self-storage there? But for sure, if Macy's can't reopen their doors, I don't know who else will want that that, that box and I don't know what, what else they're going to do with it. So. Right. And there's, there's a few points I want to, I want to expand upon that you have there. So the first one being markets being oversupplied. So self storage is a very interesting asset class that it's hyper localized. And what I mean by that is you can't say, okay, Chicago is oversupplied, but Austin, Texas is not oversupplied. You can't look at it like that because your typical, trade area or radius around a self-storage facility is only a three-mile radius around that. So maybe that three-mile radius may be oversupplied, but three miles over, it's not. So it, it, you need a good operator that can find these, you know, really deep dive into these local markets and find these opportunities that are, that are not, um, that don't have, you know, good fulfillment, right? So if, an example of a development we're doing right now, um, it's in a, a, a suburb of Chicago. Uh, but in that local market, within five miles of where our proposed site is of the ground of development, we can double the amount of uh, self-storage in the area and still not meet demand. We're only going to be adding an additional maybe 10%, 10 to 15% of the supply. Um, so that, that's a perfect example how when you're looking at markets, you have to get really granular and you have to make sure that you're you know, not leaving any stone unturned. The second thing I want to well, let me comment on this first. So th that's a great point. The self-storage business is all local. I mean, one mile radius is, is, is number one, and then obviously three and five. But, but let me just put a correction on that. Generally, yes, in the most towns in America, but in big cities, in Chicago, suburbs are probably exactly it, it applies. But the moment you stay within, again, metropolitan city, the it, things are even different. One mile in New York City is a huge area, right? So one mile radius is a very different. Um, yes, people driving one mile uh, or three miles in New York, it's it's a long drive. So it's yeah. a much more localized. So I wanted to just add a comment that if you are looking in big cities, that thing even shrinks a whole lot more uh, than one mile radius. Uh, and in big cities, it's hard to, to inject these facilities. Um, usually you have some, some industrial zones where you can do a conversion. But the point is still the same. So one, three, and five mile radius makes sense in general, but in big cities, it's even, right. it's more concentrated. Uh, the numbers are, are, the distance, you know, it's, it's, even, it's even lower than that. So, so that, what that, I'd like to do to overlay over the one, three, and five mile radius is we'll actually overlay a drive time parameter to account for places like New York or downtown Chicago because like you said moving one mile in New York can take 30 minutes depending on where you are that's right and what time of day it is so that's what we'll overlay on our on our radius is drive time and we do a five a 10 a 15 and a 20 minute drive time radius to see how that affects where our trade area is going to be that's right. The other interesting thing is people don't go into self-storage every day of the week, right? It's not as, as good. So if, even, if, even in a big city, they can actually drive 30 minutes and deal with the traffic because they got to go jump with the junk 
in the storage and then come back, you know, in three months, who knows? Right. But the concept is still, um, still applicable. Um, so, uh, so what opportunities are you seeing right now? What projects you're working on? What are you looking to acquire? Just, just curious, what, what are you working yeah. on right now? So you touched on one of the opportunities right now is these adaptive reuse uh, deals or where we will take a defunct building, maybe a, a Macy's that has the lights shut off and we'll turn it into a self-storage or maybe it'll be an industrial, maybe like a three-story or a four-story industrial warehouse with concrete floors, concrete skeleton, and then bricks in between. That Those are great deals to turn into self-storage. And the reason why are those those properties are usually located on high traffic thoroughfares. They're usually surrounded by dense residential, which is our primary client of self storage. Um, and you already have the shell put up and intact. So that's 90% of the work right there. All we really have to do is get in there, update any of the mechanicals if needed, um, and then build out the, the internal structures, the actual you know, metal dividers and, and roll-up doors themselves. It, it saves us a lot of money. Usually I can build a self-storage facility from the ground up for anywhere between 70 to 80 bucks a square foot. But if I can go into one of these big box stores that's now defunct, a Circuit City or a Best Buy or what have you, and buy that anywhere from 10 to $15 a square foot and then spend another $25 a square foot on, on the interior, I'm I'm making, yeah, I'm making huge headway and I have a massive cushion of ec protective equity. Yeah, I agree with you. We, we are pretty much at this point only investing in the uh, uh, conversion projects uh, or, or even existing acquisitions, uh, looking at the potential project acquisition for lease up, um, sort of you can acquire the CEO. So some people... We'll just want to do the the built out, and then they, they don't want to deal with the lease up, and it's right. another interesting opportunity, or it's existing one with um, uh, with cash flow. Nowadays, the cash flow is the king, and if you can show predictable cash flow, because uh, the predictability of the cash flow overnight just went from very certain to very uncertain in many other asset classes. So, right. the big question. I would, especially the early few months of us being in this shutdown and then in, you know, again, I don't know when this episode will come out. Maybe we'll be past the great shutdown, but the point is still the same. The virus is not going away. It's going to be number or many, many months of, of uh, fighting with the virus. And during that time there will be, we're basically in an economic recession. We are now, and it's only going to accelerate from here. Um, even when people go back to work, uh, there's still going to be significant um, ramifications. Uh, we, the, again, we are recording April uh, 9th. The uh, projections for Q2, it's a, we're in early Q2, but the projections for Q2, GDP to shrink roughly 30%. 30%, I mean, in one quarter. It sounds crazy. Uh, depending on whose projections you look, from high 20s to low 30s in that range. So uh, even when we reopen, we're still going to be in some level of a negative GDP, and uh, uh, the some businesses just will not reopen. I mean, it's it's a very concerning situation uh, as people psychologically gonna the consumer confidence is just you know fall fell through the floor. People are just going to be spending on necessities. It's it's going to be a lot less leisure spending, a lot more necessities. And the necessities will, will, will do okay. Uh, 
self-storage would appear to be a necessity if you got stuff, if you get junk, if you got... So uh, I do feel pretty strong about the sector. Um, we are obviously looking for great opportunities. What do you think about upcoming deals? Um, yeah, is, uh, are you seeing some really interesting situations? Uh, people looking nervous discounting or it's pretty much you got to find a conversion projects and um, just execute that conversion. What are yeah. you seeing today? So there's a, there's a couple different parts of that. Um, the first thing that I'm seeing is on the leverage side of things. For the deals that we're buying that are existing facilities that have a track record of cash flow, but just maybe need a management update and a little bit of value add, we're getting phenomenal terms from our banks right now. Um, the banks, real, especially the ones that work with us, realize how much safer self-storage is on their books as opposed to some of these other asset classes, especially now multifamily, office buildings, medical, what have you. And there's a couple studies that I did looking at the numbers. And when you look at like, for example, a period of 2011 to 2018, okay, you looked at defaults per asset class. Self-storage had a default per asset of about I want to say it was about 4% or I'm sorry, 0.04%. Whereas multifamily was at 1.8%. Office buildings were at 7.5%. Healthcare were at 10%. This is uh, the number from January of 2018. Um, then when you look at the actual loss per default that these banks are experiencing, and I'm using TREP data as well as Wells Fargo data for this study. Um, when there was a, a default in self-storage, the loss to the bank was roughly 0.86% to 1.5%, whereas when you look, which is nothing. When you look at other sectors, like retail, for example, you're looking at a 6.5% loss per default. And this is an average across the entire industry, right? So the banks realize this and they're giving us phenomenal leverage. Uh, the last three properties we purchased in the last two months have all been with... Um, or the, Two of them were the 100% loan to cost because our appraisals came in very strong. And then one of them was an 80% loan to cost loan. Um, so that kind of shifts me to the next point, which is we're seeing a lot of deals from owners that are looking to get liquid. Um, the types of deals that we go after are in secondary and tertiary markets for existing self-storage. Class B and Class C facilities that we can maybe bump up one class by you know, putting automation and gates and, uh, you know, solar panels, what have you. And what we've noticed is a lot of these investors or a lot of these sellers, they built these facilities when they're young, you know, in the mid, you know, early to late 80s. And now that they're, they're thinking about retiring right when the economy is crashing, they're getting really nervous and they just want to be in cash. So we're getting awesome. For a perfect example, we just bought a property in Tennessee. Uh, we put it under contract at $725,000. Um, it needed about $100,000 in rehab. Um, well, actually, it was closer to $60,000 in rehab. Uh, and then when we got our appraisal, our appraisal came in at $1.2 So the bank said, we'll give you the full purchase price and the rehab money with nothing. That's amazing. Now. That is truly amazing. Um, quick question. So what's the cap rate on that facility? What uh, uh, the market cap is eight percent. Um, we bought it close to I think like a 10, 10 and change. Well, you got a good deal for sure. Yeah. It sounds like oh, you yeah. got a very very good deal. 
um, yeah, it's amazing now. If you even if you if you pick it up in let's just say between eight and ten, nine percent cap rate, and you add leverage, and w- what is the bank loan interest rate on these? Yeah, so depending on the bank, it's anywhere between four point two to the hundred percent LTC loans that we were doing are five point two percent. Once we stabilize them, then we move them into a life insurance company loan which is a 3.7% interest rate and it's a 10 year, uh, a 10 year term on a 25 year amortization. Yeah, that's, these are phenomenal terms. Even the bank loans at hundred percent LTC, uh, you still have, you know, at least 400 basis points spread, which is right. really strong, um, between your cap rate and then the, the interest rate and then the yeah, long-term product, you're now six, you know, or, or, or you know, five hundred basis points would change, right. which is uh, your cash and cash is is phenomenal. It's in the you know strong teens. So yeah, a lot of our deals, when we once we get them to the life insurance companies, we're at a solid two and a half to three debt service coverage ratio. So they're super strong. Yeah, the one disclaimer is that that's what it used to be, and now we are in this great. Uh, uh, commercial deal freeze. So uh, we we don't know when. Again, recording on April 9th. By the time this thing comes out, maybe these markets will reopen. Hopefully, they will reopen. Because uh, right now, getting financing. Um, although I, I spoke with a banker uh, um, yesterday, and they are doing refinance loans. So it's kind of interesting on you know, quality assets. Uh, people are open for to do refinancing deals. Yeah, like we're having deal. no problems right now. We got a, yesterday I got two different quotes from, a, from banks to do our ground up development deal. And I'm getting quoted prime plus one um, at 75% loan to cost for a $12 million ground up development. Because they feel pretty strong about the asset and I guess the, the track record. So it's, that's great to hear. That's, that's probably the one asset class um, that, that's going to get pretty good financing options uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, the other ones are just, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's going to be retrading, significant retrading, and um, obviously hospitality industry, uh, the asset prices have collapsed, and then the banks don't know how to finance them, and they don't know what the stabilization price is going to be. You go uh, some retail and shopping centers, same issue. Um, not as bad, but it's it's obviously, you know, closed gyms and nail salons and so on they don't know uh, until these things reopen and then they start seeing the traffic and they start seeing the the revenues it's going to be really tough to uh, to value these assets yeah. and then uh, multifamily same issue um, other than people have to live somewhere so they probably have good physical occupancy but the economic collection um, all I know is April 1st seem to be okay April 1st collections for um, uh, for multifamily is not bad but if this thing continues, uh, we don't know May 1st, June 1st. And yeah, um, yeah there's a lot of uncertainty. But but we self have, sto- uh, self-storage we have- is probably shielded from this stuff. Yeah, so we, again, like I said, we haven't noticed really any increase in delinquencies. Our occupancies have gone up. And then to, to speak on your note about the, the multifamily. So we have a, a wholesale business here in Chicago uh, locally. And we have about 6,100 investors on our buyers list. So we, we sent out a, an email blast to all of them saying, hey, you know, what's going on? What are you seeing in your portfolios? What are you seeing in your flips and in on your rentals? And what we've noticed is 
Um, unfortunately, for the investors that own assets in the B minus and below grade areas, um, you know, west sides of Chicago, south sides of Chicago, their, uh, their April 1st delinquencies were massive, over 60%. Really? Um, wow, that is. Guys, the guys that have stuff in better asset class areas, like, you know, A and B areas, northern Chicago uh, neighborhoods, some of the suburbs, they're doing a lot better. Um, another thing that we notice is that the, the fix and flips are sitting on the market right now, especially in the, the luxury and step up um, areas. So the, the first time home buyers, they're still doing really good. So in the Chicago area, that's the 150 to $250,000 purchase price, but the 350 and above, they're really suffering. So the step up in Chicago is usually about 350 to $500,000 purchase price. And then the 500 and above the luxury market there, those properties are just sitting right now. Yeah. That's very consistent with, uh, many other uh, cities and towns around the country. I mean, the same conversation, if you are in the affordable range, you're doing okay. It's the only thing that seems to be doing because people are going to step down. Everybody's stepping down, so demand for the affordable stuff is increasing, right. while the, the high-end upgrades, uh, people just not, they're delaying their decisions because of uncertainty. It's prime time right now, spring, and uh, the buyers are not you know, looking at the nicer properties because they have uncertainty what's going to happen. Uh, but yeah, an interesting point, really, f for multifamily assets, it, it is a seriously a function of who is the, uh, you know, who are the tenants. If the tenants are blue-collar workers who are laid off at this point, that's, that's, a, that's the area that's getting hit the most. They're getting a lot of help from the government now, but first of all, the checks haven't started uh, arriving yet. And then the second thing, there may be selective sort of, um, you know, selective defaults. And... Um, the, the socialist republics and some of these, uh, um, you know, there's been movements for rent strikes. Just not pay rent. Get get the money from the government. Don't pay. Don't don't pay the uh, the, the, the landlords. Just unfortunate. Um, and you, it is something to be uh, to be discussed. I do know again from the some of the investments we've made, uh, the assets seem to be doing better. Uh, not not as bad as you mentioned uh, because they are you know different. It's also a key who is the owner and the landlord and how, what their relationship with their tenants. Right. I mean, I had conversations with some other CG guys who invest with and their relationship with the tenants, they're providing the help, they're caring for the tenant, they're showing the tenants they're there not as the evil landlord, but as the uh, friend, somebody's helping them. And then if you have that relationship, the chances of you getting the rent is a whole lot better. You can't use the, the, the stick right now. It's only the carrot is the only option because the stick doesn't work because it's, it's, you know, evictions on, uh, are not, not happening. Anyway, let's go back to self-storage. We're almost running out of time, but I just wanted to do a very quick uh, sort of a um, uh, summary. So uh, what do you think for the next, you know, one, two years, assume the, we're going to be in recession, you yeah. see the self-storage facilities trading at the same cap rates they're trading now. The cap rate's going to get better. They're going to get worse. Uh, is the, obviously, demand is expected to, to be uh, going up. Yeah. So, so I, I, I how think do you think the asset class will perform over the next couple of years? Yeah, so in a, in a short answer, I think it's going to perform really well. Now, what we're focusing on is buying income-producing assets. We'll get them partially 
through the way of value add. And then we're putting them into an income fund, which actually you helped me kind of put together and whiteboard. So I appreciate your help on that. So what we're going to do is we're going to be putting our, you know, some of our upper level income properties into this fund. And then it's just going to be basically uh, almost like an annuity payment that investors can, can rely on and that we can rely on. Um, what we've been noticing on the seller side is as far as cap rates go, if you're dealing with a sophisticated seller, maybe they own a portfolio of self-storage facilities or they've engaged a broker uh, that's intelligent like Marcus and Millichap or, you know, Sperry Van Ness or any of the big guys that are in the space, those cap rates are actually going down right now because they know the safety in the asset class. But on the opposite end, when you have your non-sophisticated sellers that may, you know, what I call the mom and pops that may own one or two facilities, those cap rates for us are, are going through the roof. Uh, we're starting to make offers, blanket offers on any facility that comes in before we even look at it. We're, we're doing 10% plus cap rate offers and they're getting accepted. Yeah, I mean, the, the, these markets will separate the professionals versus the amateurs per se. Right. I mean, great point. We're past the time. Appreciate your wisdom. Uh, great episode. Uh, how would folks get in touch with you if they, they want to learn about self-storage, uh, want to invest in one of your projects? Yeah. What's, a, what, what's a good way to get a hold of Fernando? Yeah, so you can find me on all the social media sites at The Storage Stud. So The Storage Stud is my handle. Um, you can just Google my name, Fernando Angelucci, or go to our website, titanwealthgroup.com. Um, feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm always helping new investors get into the space, uh, either from a limited partner side or from a, an operating partner and showing them how to get these deals under contract, close them, operate them, get them financed, et cetera. Fernando, thank you very much for being the guest on the show. Your wisdom, your, your knowledge, your experience is much appreciated. Thank you for sharing. Stay well and safe in these crazy days. And uh, let's reconnect soon. <laughs> Talk about your fund, your income yeah. fund. Thanks so much, Mike. Help you set it up further. So anyway, take care. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fund Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fund book, head to BigMikeFund.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.